we all know that with digital transformation, what we've seen and just in terms of the explosion of technology, it's, you know, it's not enough just to come out of college or even go through your career without really understanding how technology plays a much bigger role. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable. And everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. I'm really honored to have today's guest on the show. Her name is Sarah Leone. And she has more than 20 years of experience in management, marketing, and operations. And she's built strong online brands for both major corporations as well as for startups. And before becoming the CEO of Greenfig, Sarah served as the CEO of Rafter, a $50 million course material management company that served hundreds of colleges around the country with innovative solutions, saving students a half a billion dollars on their course material expenses. Her extensive marketing expertise includes a senior leadership position at Cafe Press, where she was instrumental in growing revenue to more than a hundred million. And as head of marketing for Yahoo Personals, she helped the dating site Woo Singles and catapult the brand to the number one visited dating site in 2007. And before Yahoo, she served as a director of marketing at a financial services innovator called E-Trade. Sarah is an incredibly passionate, inspirational leader who thrives on building, focusing, and motivating high-performing teams to solve big problems and deliver significant growth in high-impact businesses. Her focus on team and highly competitive nature stems from her collegiate softball career, where Sarah received second team All-American accolades as UNLV's center fielder. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to chat with you. We have uh, connected a few times over the last couple months, but now is our moment to really dive into who you are, what you've done, what you're working on moving forward. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So to dive right in, uh, I want to make sure our audience really gets to know you personally and understand who you are. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how your journey started to building out your current company, GreenFig, and what is GreenFig all about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, my journey started pretty early on, I would say, um, and and in the context of uh, an athlete. So I grew up playing all sorts of sports. Um, I went through college playing softball. Um, and the interesting thing is, like, at the core of my professional career, I feel like is very much 
kind of nested in that experience as a collegiate athlete and, um, you know, the, the, um, ability to, to build teams and work with teams and, and be incredibly competitive and, um, all the aspects that come along with, uh, with, um, you know, playing division one sports. Awesome. So actually I want to kind of take that a little bit further because oftentimes people talk about how sports impacted their way of thinking, who they are today. And you played collegiate um, softball, that is. And what did that do for you? What was that journey like? And how does that impact your life today? Yeah, I mean, the journey was pretty amazing, first and foremost. Um, You know, going into college by itself is a pretty challenging thing, right? Making that leap from high school and your house into more adulthood, or at least early adulthood. Um, the thing for me specifically was, you know, I was taken into a situation where very quickly I had to be a grown up, right? Um, kind of figure out how to really organize my life. Um, we were up at the crack of dawn in the gym. Um, we were out running, you know, laps around the track. And then we were in class. And, and we spent a lot of our time, obviously, on the road, um, not necessarily on airplanes, but on buses. And so, you know, you had to learn pretty quickly how to adapt, um, how to manage your your life, how to manage, you know, your goals and your expectations, how to manage up, how to manage across. And, and there were points where I failed, right? <laughs> um, I remember very specifically my freshman year in college, um, I had a challenge with my environmental science course specifically because I was really nervous about talking to the professor and I missed probably 60% of the class because we were on the road. Um, and so, you know, it, it, from that perspective, it taught me really early on some of those kind of core um, executive functioning skills, right, in terms of how to manage all of those different aspects. Um, but then, you know, on the field, it, it really taught, like, we were together all the time. Um, we had to rely on one another. Um, you, you sort of figure out how do you operate within the confines of a team and have it not be about me, but have it be about us. Um, and how to figure out how to really respect kind of your coach and that whole process. And so um, we just had, we, I was lucky enough to go to a university where we had an incredible group of individuals that really gelled well together. Um, but all of that experience, you know, really set me up, I would say, pretty well, even though I had zero job experience, <laughs> right? So that was the downside is, is I, I went into my first job really only um, having, you know, worked as a kid at like a pizza place, right? I didn't really have any of that general work experience, but a lot of what, uh, what sort of drove us on the field um, translated pretty well into the office. I hear that so often that playing sports obviously teaches you the fundamentals of teamwork, camaraderie, leadership, and it yep. seems like you've carried a lot of that into a lot of your positions, multiple rounds of being a CEO. And it's funny that you bring up working at Pizza Hut, and I kind of want to reverse the story a little bit, partly because I look at my career and I started out as probably 15, 16 year old working at Jamba Juice, again, another customer service focused industry. And I personally think about like what that taught me, how that empowered me going forward. And I value like white glove service so much and providing yeah. people this incredible experience. Did you find any of that if you think about either? through your Pizza Hut days or even playing collectively uh, on your softball team? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it, you know, there's the aspects of not wanting to let your team members down. Right. And so you start to build some of the, 
and there's there's empathy in there. There's the teamwork, camaraderie, um, but also just the desire to do really well for other people. And and I think that aspect definitely translates. Um, you know, the other piece that translates really well is like when you're you know, being in the hot seat when you're 18, 19, 20, right? So my team went to the College World Series. Um, we were on TV, right? It's incredibly stressful. You know, you're up to bat against probably arguably one of the best pitchers in the country. And and that sort of experience sets you up. I mean, I, you know, I go into board meetings. And I'm like, this is a piece of cake, you know, or an investor meeting versus when I was um, when I was young dealing with that sort of like real, real anxiety and stress. And, and, you know, not that we always had the tools or the coaches to equip us with how to manage that, but, you know, we had to learn on our own, you know, how to, how to build some of that um, tenacity, right. How to build, how to, how to, how to sort of work through that, um, that anxiety. And, and I'll say that those skills have come, come a plenty. It's interesting. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen the statistic, but my husband had just pointed out to me it's something like sixty percent might even be higher than that i'm I'm probably completely misquoting this of female CEOs come from an athletic background, which I found to be incredibly interesting um, vast majority that's so interesting. I'll definitely look into that uh, I fully believe your husband, but I think again it reinforces this value of what sports teaches us yeah. and it shows us kind of the different levels of anxiety that we have throughout our lives, throughout our career, and whatever might spark it. But at the end of the day, we made up the game of business. So the anxiety that you might feel in a boardroom or your team might feel in specific meetings under yeah. pressure for deadlines, we can kind of harbor that energy in a very different way. What do you think you're doing right now, both for yourself as an individual, but more so for your teams to empower and enable them to be really successful when it comes to working under pressure? Yeah, um, uh, I will say probably not all the right things. Um, <laughs> we're definitely dealing with sort of a pressure cooker right now. You know, I'm um, I'm an incredibly transparent leader. I am, you know, really focused on hiring um, to our culture and to um, into a team environment where we can be incredibly supportive and we can push each other really hard, um, but also, you know, make sure that we're there to, um, you know, pick each other up when we're down or when, you know, when maybe we didn't exactly um, implement or execute something the way that we had had anticipated. Um, and so I think that that element is is pretty key. Yeah. So Oftentimes, especially right now, there's so many people looking for jobs and thinking through, how do I pick a company, yeah. have right manager? What are some of the characteristics that you look for in individuals that reflect either the culture or the values that you've built throughout GreenFig? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, this definitely translate from, I would say, you know, a various, um, various work experiences um, you know, I think always, first and foremost, there's a really strong sense of ownership. Um, you know, I didn't come from an Ivy League background. I don't necessarily look for folks with an Ivy League background, but I do look for folks that really care deeply about the work that they're doing. And when they put their mark on something, I know that that, that work product is going to be phenomenal. Um, I definitely look for folks that have humility. So that's incredibly important to me. Um, I know people talk about a no asshole rule, like we have a no asshole rule, right? Like to me, life's too short. Um, I want to be able to work with really fantastic people that 
um, that I know are going to be self-driven, right? And have the self-confidence to, you know, pick things up and, and get them across the finish line. I also think, you know, in terms of um, just, you know, work ethic and thinking about being innovative and um, there's sort of a cross-border there of, you know, how do we hire people who can be really thoughtful and um, who can sort of self, you know, self-problem solve, if you will, um, you know, obviously being a startup, we're a really small team. Um, and so we don't have the opportunity necessarily to bring people um, on board and, and, and hand them a, in a playbook <laughs> that's going to be incredibly useful. And so finding people who can hit the ground running and, um, you know, and don't need a ton of direction is, and, and that's, I will say, probably less about how I think about culture, or, you know, over time and more sort of at the stage of company that we're at right now. Certainly. We've talked a little bit about kind of the fundamentals of what teamwork looks like, the individual, the characteristic yeah. that goes into that. Let's kind of transition into talking about what GreenFig does, why you even built it, where the impetus of this passion project that has now turned into a great organization, where did that all come from? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, so by way of background, I have, I have five boys total. I've got three little ones at home and then I have two um, stepsons who I've raised since they were pretty little and they've both been through college. And one of the things that I recognized as, um, as especially my second stepson was graduating was, you know, I was having conversations with him about what his plans were, you know, from a career perspective. And he had been lucky enough to be part of a Bay Area family, a connected family. And we were able to, you know, really bring him into different internship opportunities, et cetera. But the thing that he sort of lacked was that strong connective tissue between what did I learn as part of my four-year higher education experience and how does that translate into the workplace? And you know, specifically, he was looking to go into a sales role. That was always something he was really interested in. And we started talking about platforms like Salesforce, right? And other sales, like selling skills that I had expected he would have been introduced to as part of his um, higher education experience, um, especially given the amount of money that we, that we obviously contributed to that process. And, and the reality was he had none of that. And while he had a lot of great theory, there wasn't a lot of real practi- you know, practicality to, um, to some of that educational um, content. And so I, um, I was really, I was really driven by what that experience. And sort of, he fell into this role of taking, you know, taking on a position that frankly, I would say didn't require us for your degree, um, living in the Bay area, making peanuts and really struggling. Right. When the reality is like, this was a kid who, um, was really driven and, and should have had, I, I felt should have had different opportunity. And when I started digging in and talking to different higher education leaders, really saw this opportunity to bring more of that highly practical, relevant um, digital skills training into their universe to help both you know, folks who were looking to make that, that leap from college to career, but also for professional leaders, right? Or for, professional, um, for folks in professional roles who were looking to continue to keep their skills relevant. Um, we all know that with digital transformation, what we've seen just in terms of the explosion of technology, it's, you know, it's not enough just to come out of college or even go through your career without really understanding how technology plays a much bigger role. 
And so, you know, the interesting thing for me at Greenfield was one, I saw both a really big market opportunity, right? Just in terms of, if you look at the makeup of um, who we focus on, which is what we call codeless professionals, um, there's actually seven times more professionals in these codeless occupations than in coding occupations. And we hear a lot about, you know, the need for coding skills, which don't get me wrong, super important. Um, but we also need, you know, there's also clearly a huge need for the 54% plus of college graduates who go into business to have that up-level training um, in terms of relevant skills. And so that's our focus. Um, we develop uh, certificate courses and um, digital skills training that we distribute through higher education partners um, around the country. I love that. And what you did ultimately is identify an incredible need and you're right. And I'm sure many people in our audience can empathize with this. A lot of people using GreenFig can empathize with the fact that they simply weren't provided, weren't given. The institutions didn't build out this coursework that's so vital to people's success nowadays. And the world's transitioning, it seems, almost on a daily basis in terms yeah. of which technology we're using, which coding language we're using. And I love the fact that you created a platform, identified a need, and ran with it. And now, are seemingly partnering with a lot of great organizations, universities, and implementing this. What have you seen from the market in terms of adoption? And what has been some of that feedback that you've received as well? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the uh, we're, we're just about to do a momentum release. So, we've brought on um, eight new higher education partners literally in the last three months. Um, so, we're definitely seeing, um, especially in light of COVID, right, as unemployment rises, um, the reality is, uh, folks who are hiring can be much more picky about the people that they bring in. And so having that, that strong relevancy of skills is really, really important. And, and it's not to say that these institutions can't create this content. Um, they can. It takes typically years. And by the time they've created it, it's now irrelevant, right? Because of how quickly things are moving. And so we've seen a really strong attach to um, our, our certificate courses, especially in the space of um, professional, continuing in professional education, we have, we also have seen um, a lot of interest in the undergraduate space. Again, more of that college to career space. It's just a little bit, it's, it's interesting. I mean, higher education is um, obviously a, a, an interesting beast, if you will. Um, and when you get into the four credit side of things, it just tends to be a bit stickier. I think there's a ton of opportunity there. It's just a, it's a, it's a longer lead opportunity, right? And I, I see from the conversations we're having and frankly, where the industry is going, right? Where, where, where parents, where industry, where, you know, basically everybody's surrounding um, the fabric of our higher education institutions, they're really demanding more. Um, and I think that over time, we're going to see a pretty significant shift from, it being just about sort of, you know, building those foundational learning skills to those foundational learning skills, which we all know are incredibly important, right? We know that those are at the top of hiring managers list, but then how do we really equip folks to hit the ground running as they're making that transition? You're speaking to my heart. And I think mm -hmm. that's why when we first connected, I realized we were kind of kindred spirits in why you built out GreenFig, why I'm building out Career Meets World is a recognition that education technology is only going to balloon over the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Upper education, up to debate, may or may not be working. I think 
somebody we'd love to befriend is Elon Musk. He, he's been quoted in saying that he'd almost prefer not to hire people with an MBA degree, partly because they don't necessarily possess or always possess that critical thinking skill set and ability to problem solve on the fly, where you only really get that on the job, in the workplace, having that entrepreneurial mindset. And oftentimes, entrepreneurship isn't even taught in any sort of graduate program, let alone yeah. undergraduate program. And it's a type of thinking. So I think I'd love to see, and I'd love to see this trend continue of more education platforms popping up and really supporting or partnering with higher education and recognizing that there's a massive shift in how we teach and how we learn. And in that process, we as individuals, we as founders have to think about how do we improve as well. Yeah. So as you're guiding your team, as you're building out this company, what are you personally doing on a daily, a weekly basis to really amplify your own skill sets? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. So one, obviously, um, I try to read as much as possible, um, which I will say is often incredibly challenging <laughs> between doing my what, day job. And What are you reading lately? You know, I've, I've actually taken to reading some Stephen King books lately because between work and then, you know, trying to figure out how to balance um, my kids being at home all the time um, and not being in camps, et cetera. I actually like what I need is a break from <laughs> a break from like the learning around um, my career. I will say I, I have always been um, somebody who who learns by doing like that is my core. Um, I some, uh, you know, and, and this works really well in some cases and not so well in other cases. But, you know, it's, it's hard to necessarily always read a book and then translate that into what you're doing. I think there's aspects of, um, you know, uh, there's aspects of theory, et cetera, that you can take and apply. Um, but I also just find like doing and being really thoughtful around that doing um, is what for me really creates, helps me create and continue to build on, you know, kind of the foundation and just being really thoughtful and self-aware of where I'm doing a really good job and where I'm not, um, which is challenging, right? And and I will say, I mean, because I'm a transparent leader, um, I ask my team to be incredibly transparent with me, right? This is like, it's not a one-way, one-way sort of street. It's, you know, how do we all become better together? And how do we make sure that we're supporting our, supporting everyone through that journey? Because I, you know, I definitely don't, I definitely don't know at all. None of us do. And fortunately, we find different ways to escape from what's going on right now throughout our busy lives. COVID aside, there are always going to be many things that pile up and prioritization is yeah. the only way that we can really find some balance or sanity throughout our day. And what I really was hoping to ask you today, because there are so many great conversations that have happened over the last couple of months, especially since COVID kind of picked up in the US, probably in the March timeframe. A lot of CEOs went through difficult times thinking through how to keep their companies afloat, how to yeah. pivot, make a lot of different micro pivots, raise funds, not raise funds, lay people off. Now that you've had some time to, let's call it escape or move past that initial shock. Yeah. How would you grade yourself in that reaction and what you did for your organization? 
Yeah. Wow. It's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I, we, we, we did go through some layoffs, right? We did do some downsizing. Um, we did raise some additional funds and, and there was, you know, I went through a, a, a really big sort of, um, thinking process of, do we want to continue to raise funds? Do, you know, can we raise funds and continue this journey and be effective, right? My whole thing, and I was really, I was very transparent with, um, with our existing investor set was, you know, I didn't want to be in a position where I was just kicking the can down the, down the road, right? I wanted to make sure that if we were going to, if we were going to continue to, um, you know, put one step, you know, one foot in front of the other, that we, we had a clear strategy, we had, the opportunity within, you know, amidst uh, an environment like COVID, which isn't going away. And so there was, you know, there were a lot of, um, there was like a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that process um, for sure. And, and, you know, because I am um, I, so big on team um, and I, I really care very deeply about the people that I hire going through that process of having to let people go is heart-wrenching, right? It's just for, for me personally, it's incredibly heart-wrenching and it weighs really heavily on me, especially when I know I'm, you know, letting people go in one of the worst sort of environments that, that, you know, are, it has happened in the last few decades. And so, but I also, I've, I've been through the trenches, right? Um, I've gone through some really challenging times um, in past past what I call my past life, which is not really, you know, in, in a past role. Um, and I knew that, you know, swift, swift action was the best action. And then if I didn't take swift, swift action that, you know, we were going to be putting ourselves in a, in a pretty challenging position. So, you know, I, it's interesting because I remember having this conversation with my COO where I called her and I was just, I was, I think we were probably about a month into COVID and I was really struggling with, staying super engaged, right? Like I felt like my contribution was about, you know, 75% of my normal and that didn't feel good to me. Right. It just, in a lot of ways, it didn't feel good to me. And we, you know, we had a whole conversation about what was happening, right. And how it was impacting our children, how it was impacting our families and our lives and, and how ultimately it's all, you know, whether or not we want to separate our professional worlds from our personal worlds, it's completely impossible. And so I would have given myself at that point, like a D, <laughs> you know, like when I was right in the moment, um, you know, but the reality is like, we came out in a much better position. Um, we've got a team, a very, like a, a smaller team, right. And everybody's working their asses off right now to accomplish really big things. And like, I tell them probably not enough, um, how much I appreciate the work that they're doing. Um, I'm also a driver. So again, I probably don't tell them enough. <laughs> it's easier, of, of course, to talk about the things that we need to get done. Um, but you know, now that we're on the other side, um, I, you know, I feel pretty good about what we've done um, and the choices that I made um, as, we, as we head into fall, um, which is, you know, we're launching a new product. We're launching, you know, we're more than doubling the partners that we're, we're launching with. And, and for me, a big piece of that is maintaining, um, the sort of customer experience, you know, sort of the outcomes that we have, you know, been able to, um, deliver thus far for our student learners and, and that we keep those right. And we translate those into our new product and, and that's hard. It's hard when you've got a small team and you're moving quickly, but, um, I think if we can keep the student at the, at the center of, 
our process and we make sure that we keep, um, you know, ultimately their experience, you know, and, and the level of experience that we want that we're, it's, it's all going to be good. I'm a big believer that, you know, if you, if you deliver that for your end, your, your end customer, that like great things will happen. I couldn't agree with you more because I think the people that we serve, the people that we're working for, the products that we're building for them, if we're not doing a good enough job and if they're not realizing value, then why are we doing this at all? So I commend you for focusing on the students who genuinely want to consume all this information. And I appreciate the radical transparency around kind of what you went through, how you thought through everything, as well as giving yourself a D at first. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of extra credit along the way. That <laughs> radical transparency is really what allowed you to survive and thrive throughout this period of time. And again, hopefully your team listens to this, but recognizes that you genuinely value what they do and how hard they're working. And I can assure many people that there are unfortunately a lot of CEOs who are just trying to power their way through this without reflecting and stopping and thinking through what is going on, how the world's yeah. changing. So I think as we kind of look forward, and that's the only place we can really look after we reflect, what are you most excited for through the rest of 2020, 2021? What are the big things personally and professionally coming up for you? Per, you know, so I'll start personally because... Um, I don't know. Like, is anybody excited about anything personal anymore? I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that. My, I have a son going into high school. I'm super excited about that. I'm a little bit bummed for him because, um, you know, he's going to be, they're all going to be at home. And, um, this was really, you know, it's one of those big milestone moments for him. Um, you know, we, we te- like, we are a very active family. We love to ski. We love to get out. We love to travel. Um, and so this has been really challenging, right? Not being able to do those things that sort of feed our souls, if you will. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping on the horizon, there's going to be some of that. I'm a little bit doubtful, but I'm hoping. Um, so, I mean, personally, I think the thing that I do look forward to is, you know, as we are ramping up, um, as we're ramping up and making this transition and as we can start to both build and hire that, I'll have a little bit more time to spend with my family. Like that would be a personal goal because um, it's been a little bit challenging lately. My nine-year-old is not happy with me. Um, professionally, you know, we, I have, I have not been in a, in a position at this company where I have felt so confident in where we're at in the, the sort of connection we've made, where we're at from a product market fit perspective. Um, you know, we still have a lot to prove for sure. Um, but I feel like we're just on the cusp of being able to do that. And I've hired, you know, I just hired a great VP of growth who, um, has a strong experimentation mindset, um, a super strong customer mindset. And so it'll be interesting as we are bringing on these new schools and we're bringing on some key talent, um, and building some additional technology, like how that all helps us, you know, enables us to deliver against sort of the, the broader goals that we have in the near term and then sets us up for, you know, longer term vision where we want to, where we want to take this. Love that. And there's again, this moment where we have to reflect on what's going on. Like you said, we may not know what's going to happen moving forward and what life is going to look like, but 
I'm glad you're recognizing that you want to spend time with family and you want to give some time back to them, but you're also excited about what's coming next for, for Green Fig. And there's a lot of great things coming up for you. I do want to ask though, more so, so our audience can learn just how you got to where you are today yeah. as an individual, because mindset is such a critical thing when it comes to rising throughout your career and very early on, especially coming out of college. And a lot of people are coming out of college today thinking that the world is ending and not necessarily always knowing what's in front of them, but to keep things moving, to keep kind of progressing and growing mindset is a huge part of that. What stabilizes you on a day-to-day basis that you'd be willing to share with other people? Maybe they can emulate it as well. What stabilizes me? So in terms of whether there's routines that you go through, whether it's exercise, whether it's meditation, whatever it is that really gets you going. Yeah. um, Okay. That's a great question. So I'm not a routine person. Um, I I should be more of one. My kids are a little bit all over the place. Um, I think that's part of what keeps me sane is not having a continuous routine. Um, I sort of like to have things a little bit on the fly so that we can um, pick up and go if we want to pick up and go. Um, the, I mean, I definitely, I will say there's probably a combination of, um, spending that quality time with my kids, right. Even if it's just like the 20 minutes I spent, you know, hanging out with my nine-year-old watching his new fish this morning at six 30 to, um, exercise for sure. Like if I didn't have some level of exercise routine, I think I would go, crazy. Um, that's sort of my stress relief. Um, and then I'll, I'll say the third one, which probably isn't as healthy is, is the wine at night, right? It's sort of that wind down where I I will say COVID has afforded us the opportunity to have a lot of dinners together as a family and, um, to be able to spend that time and have pretty deep conversations about whether it's politics or it's, you know, education or it's, you know, some random thing that one of my sons has seen on YouTube that's actually um, educational versus, you know, some odd video game, uh, you know, video. And so I would say that the combination of those three things is is definitely what um, what keeps me going. I've thought about meditating. I totally should. My doctors have told me I should do yoga so that I can like, you know, calm my nerves. Um I'm less of, I'm, I'm more of an orange theory, you know, get it, get out and like run hard and lift weights than I am a, a sort of, you know, bring it, bring it together and, and cool down, which, you know, I need to, I need to balance that a little bit better. I love that because you are just authentically yourself. And oftentimes I hear CEOs should be doing X or Y and it always is somewhat a mixture of yoga at 5.30, meditation, drinking tea or coffee, and then this rigid routine. But you just do what you want and you're high energy. And Orange Theory is probably more a reflection of your personal brand. So I freaking love that. And more specifically, and this is what I want to kind of zoom in on, is female leadership and what that looks like, what the expectations are, right? I just asked you a question about almost uh, kind of a self-awareness moment. I'm leading you down a path, expecting you to maybe be a yogi or do the Mm -hmm. classic things that women do. So shame on me. But I do think it's incredible that you're just authentically yourself. 
So uh, you mentioned a stat that your husband brought up earlier yeah. around that a lot, I think it was 60% of women who are now female CEOs used to play some sort of sport, whether it be in college or before that. What are you seeing? What would you recommend both for females who want to essentially move up, call it the ladder, become a CEO yeah. or a founder? But then the second part to that question will be about what would you recommend for men to really learn and become a better ally in that process as well? Yeah, no, great question. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I obviously have worked with a ton of females throughout my career. Um, I've mentored um, a handful. And, you know, the thing, I think one of the things that definitely drove my success was just not, was it was confidence, Right. And, and being able to, and, and I think a lot of this came from sort of that athletic background where it's like, you had to have confidence when you stepped up at the plate, or you had to have confidence at played center field when you were out in center field and like, you had to make the play, the game ending play, right? Um, otherwise you, you, you just, you wouldn't have been on the field. And, and I see a lot of women who lack that confidence, um, whether it's from experiences when they were younger or they, um, you know, don't feel like they have the adequate skill sets to apply for a job. I mean, we've all seen the stats of like, you know, I think men are really good at saying if they don't have the skills, like that's the job that I want, where women wait until there's a job that matches their particular skills. And, you know, I think for me and my career, like that confidence, um, sort of my, my work ethic, um, my productivity level, my energy level. And then I just, I think the, the, my ability to, to develop relationships, right? Like I really like, you know, I really like people. I like working with people. I like, I like collaborating with people and teams to make really great things happen. And, and so there wasn't, you know, I didn't set out thinking like, I want to be a CEO. (laughs) I, I never had that, I just, I never had that sort of vision. I never would have thought that it was something that I was even capable of. Um, but each sort of step in my career, um, I, my husband used to joke with me, he's like, I feel so sorry for your next boss because like, <laughs> as soon as they hire you, like at some point in time, they're going to be gone. And it wasn't, obviously that wasn't, you know, my plan, but it was just, I, I wasn't, um, I don't, I, it wasn't that I had this mindset of like, I have to keep moving up. Um, I, I was lucky enough to work for great companies, um, that, you know, really, uh, appreciated my talent and contributions, et cetera. And who I would say did a pretty good job of making sure that they were opening up new opportunities. Um, either that or I would quit and get hired back into a better role. Right. When I was like, okay, I'm so frustrated, but, um, Yeah. I don't know if that exactly answered your question. It certainly does. And I do want to extend that even further to, again, hopefully help a lot of listeners in the audience over time learn that there's still a divide between males and females and how they think and how they operate. So what would be your recommendations for males specifically as they think about how to be a better ally throughout the workplace, throughout kind of either in a hiring manager role, an HR role, whatever their position is, how can they be a better partner? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, I'll go back to self-awareness, which I think some people have um, a lot of and other people don't have as much. And so, you know, for those that don't, I think 
there are opportunities for um, training, <laughs> right? For professional development. Because um, I've definitely, I've worked with some just tremendous um, uh, men who have a strong empathy for the differences between sexes, which there, there clearly are, right? Um, and I've worked with others that, that, that don't or aren't as willing to be thoughtful around, you know, I am raising a family and I'm doing this job and guess what? I'm going to kick ass at both and you may not see it, but I'm at home working at 11 o'clock at night or two o'clock in the morning. And I, I think that we need to continue to help. Um, and it's not just one or the other. I mean, I see it in both cases, um, but help people understand the roles that we're still playing. Right. And and I, I mean, I struggle with this all the time because um, one of the reasons why there aren't more females in the CEO role, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them, but a, a lot of it is, it's, it is incredibly grueling, right? It is not for the faint of heart. And I, at some day I want to see it mixed. And, and I have a husband who contributes a ton, but there's still like, there's still this, there's still differences in roles in what we do at home and sort of the expectation at home. And so I think, I think as well, like if, if men can identify that with the people that they work with, but also with their own wives, right. (laughs) Right. And start to start to take on and blend more of that responsibility. Um, I think that I do find that, that, um, that men that I've worked with who have more of that empathy or are better at sort of collaborating across, you know, across sexes have, um, have that sort of same outlook at home, right. Or have a similar outlook at home. So I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have the perfect answer, but I think, I think we're going to continue to see things get better. Again, I think open and transparent conversations around this is really important. So obviously I think it's much smaller or it's much easier at a smaller organization than it is at a bigger organization. But we also know that top-down leadership is really important, right? And so finding Finding individuals, I mean, I you know that that are running organizations that can emulate that, right? Um, I mean, how many companies have you been to who put their values up like on the back of a toilet stall, right? And and at the end of the day, like the leadership doesn't emulate what those are, and and it can't just be you know it can't just be chatter. It's got to be real action. I couldn't agree with you more. It's the most basic cliche, but actions speak louder than words. And you have to walk the talk as it comes to allyship and equality. And what you're hitting on is kind of the art of learning, whether it's applying to just learning the fundamentals that Greenfig is teaching to understanding some of these social discrepancies in society. And oftentimes I say it starts with unconscious incompetence. If you don't yeah. know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I think over the last call it 20, 30, 40 years, especially as it comes to just gender disparity, there's been that learning process. It just takes time yeah. and it's one conversation after the other, yeah. whether it's at home, in the workplace, obviously executive leadership is imperative to push that message forward and, and bring an even playing field, but it will take time. So I encourage a lot of people to just think about what they don't know, ask questions, be open to things that might be contrary to their common beliefs because that's the yeah. only way we improve and we allow people to enter into the workforce. So I commend you for doing that. I commend you for being just authentically yourself. 
And as you continue going down this path as an incredible leader, I'm sure a lot of our audience will potentially want to continue to follow along and, and learn more about your journey. What's the best way for people to connect with you, reach out to you, and connect with GreenFig as well? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn for sure. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty active LinkedIn user. So um, connect with me there. Um, if you're looking to build new skills or you want to get involved with GreenFig somehow, um, we work with lots of different... We, we love to bring in um, subject matter experts. They are the ones that actually help us develop the content for our courses. Um, and so we collaborate with some really killer folks from around the country. So if you're interested in sharing, you know, the tricks of your trade, right, and and how you've gotten to the position you have, like, we are always looking for people to contribute from that perspective. Um, and if you're looking to build new skills or somehow get involved, um, there's a there's a simple contact flow through the greenfig.com website. Um, reach out, let me know, and uh, we'll be we'll be sure to respond. We will certainly provide all that information to our listeners. So again, whether you're looking to partner with GreenFig or obviously to, to start learning and really complementing your current skill sets, we'll give you all that information. But Sarah, before we let you off the hook, like yeah. many of our guests, we yeah. are going to put you on the hot seat and ask you some fun questions. So I do want to ask you, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. This is not going to be Orange Theory, but it will uh, come close. So you have your personal board right now that you're working with a lot of your investors. I'm curious if you had to build out your own personal board of directors and put three people on it, who would you put? Oh, boy, my own personal board of directors. Okay, so I would totally put my nine-year-old. He'd be fabulous. Um, I would, I mean, like I, am I'm, I'm such a family person. So you're going to get a family answer. Like my husband is my rock. Um, and I trust him more than anyone. So I, you know, he would have to be there. And then the third spot, oh goodness. Um, ah, oh, that's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't, I don't have a good answer. Maybe my dog. Can I put my dog Jack on it? I'm just kidding. Um, you know, my, my, my personal life is, is just so personal to me. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, and I, I wouldn't, um, think of a, a particular friend that I might put on it. I think, I think I would stick with family members. I mean, the other person that comes to mind is my mom. Um, she lives next door to me. She actually takes care of my kids. She was sort of my idol growing up. Um, she's amazing. And, um, and like, I get out of balance, you know, like they would say I'm out of balance right now for sure. And, um, you know, I, I want to look back, you know, I always think like, what are people remembered for? Right. I have five boys. If I can raise those five boys to be amazing human beings who contribute to the world in a great way, um, and do a lot of the things we've talked about today, right? Um, understand how to think about their biases, understand how to be empathetic, understand how to be resilient. Like that to me, that, that impact that I could have is much bigger than potentially an impact that I could have. Um, so she would be my third. Clearly family means a lot to you. And I love that you stick to that nucleus. So, uh, 
All of those are fair game. It's your own personal board of directors. Question number two is really around just giving advice to people and passing it forward. And again, there are so many people throughout our lives that have continuously helped us grow and evolve. And it seems like your mom is one of them. Your husband's constantly supportive. What is one piece of advice that either you have or you've kind of been given throughout your career that you want to share with the general public in terms of thinking about how to grow throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that just being really true to yourself, not trying to, um, not trying to make other people happy, really understand what makes you tick and what is important to you at your core and establishing what those goals are so that, you know, you can continually strive to meet them, write them down. Right. Cause I think in a lot of cases we do lose our core, right. We lose sort of that, that North star. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm a big believer in, and this is what I tell my kids all the time when they're like, I wish they, I wish you would quit your job, mom. Like, could you just like, could you be like other moms and just pick me up from soccer? You know, I hear that all the time. Um, and I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy if I did that. Right. So I, you've got to figure out what makes you happy and what makes you tick. Because if you can do that, like to me, it translates into, um, it translates into goodness across lots of different areas. And, and I actually think it's a lot harder for us to figure out than we think. Right. Um, but I think if you can get there, there's there's some there's some really powerful things that can happen. Such a beautiful answer. So I appreciate that. And you survived the two simple yet uh, yeah. <laughs> fun questions of the hot seat. And you're right. It, it just boils down to self awareness, being honest with yourself. Too many people want to emulate somebody, whether it be yourself, myself, their parent, their brother, their sister. It doesn't matter who it is. If we want to be successful, we have to get true to ourselves, reflect, look inside, and then unleash that power and unleash that energy that we've all been given when we were born and really pursue what we want. Think about the problems that we want to solve. Yeah. And you for doing that. That's what you've done consistently throughout your career from your early days playing softball and just learning that grit and that relentlessness to be ultra successful. So Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Really appreciate it, Sarah. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it and uh, good luck. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know, I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.